Good evening, and welcome to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's the podcast where you sleep uh, with Josh. I am comedian Josh Yang, and every episode I read various pieces of literature in my trademark monotone voice to help you drift off to sleep. Literature like the dictionary, laws, various manuals, the different terms of services that everyone agrees to but never really reads, and other random boring ideas. Tonight, we return to the wonderful world of food and cheese with The Complete Book of Cheese by Bob Brown. Trust me, it'll be a hell of a Gouda time. If you find yourself enjoying this experience, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice and be sure to tell everyone you know that you sleep with Josh. Because at the end of the day, the more people that sleep with Josh, the better. Feel free to also follow me on social media at Josh Yang Comedy. Now sit back, relax, and close your eyes because you'll get tired of this podcast. Guaranteed. The Complete Book of Cheese by Bob Brown Starting from where we left off, in part one, I will be reading the descriptions of various cheeses in the book, alphabetically, starting with Brie. Sheila Hibben once wrote in The New Yorker, I can't imagine any difference of opinion about Breeze being the queen of all cheeses, and if there is any such difference, I shall certainly ignore it. The very shape of Brie is so uncheese-like and so charmingly fragile is exciting. Nine times out of ten, a brie will let you down, will be all caked into layers, which shows it is too young, or at the overrunny stage, which means it is too old. But when you come on the tenth brie, 
Coulon to just the right delicate creaminess and the color of fresh sweet butter. No other cheese can compare with it. The season of brie, like that of oysters, is simple to remember. Only months with an R, beginning with September, which is the best, bar none. Caccio Cavallo. From Bulgaria to Turkey, the Italian, quote-unquote, horse cheese, as Caciocavallo translates, is as universally popular as it is at home and in all the little italics throughout the rest of the world. Flattering imitations are made and named after it as follows and I will definitely be butchering these names. Bulgaria, Kaskaval, Greece, Kashkavalo and Kaskaval, Hungary, Peronica, Romania, Pentel and Kaskaval, Serbia, Kashkavalj, Syria, Kashkavalo, Transylvania, which apparently exists in this book, Kaskaval, as in Romania, Turkey, Kaskaval Panir, Yugoslavia, Kakkavalj, a horse's head printed on the cheese gave rise to its popular name and to the myth that it is made of mare's milk. It is, however, curded from cow's milk, whole or partly skimmed, and sometimes from water buffalo, hard, yellow, and so buttery that the best of it, which comes from Sorrento, is called Cacio burro, butter cheese. Slightly salty, with a spicy tang, it is eaten sliced when young and mild, and used for grating and seasoning when old. Not only on the usual Italian pastas, but on sweets. Different from the many grating cheeses, made from little balls of curd called grana. Caciocavallo is a pasta filetta or drawn curd product. Because of this, it is sometimes drawn out in long, thick threads and braided. It is a cheese for skilled artists to make sculptures with sometimes horses' heads, again bunches of grapes, and other fruits. I think it was supposed to be against bunches of grapes and other fruits, even as provolone is shaped like apples 
and pairs, and often worked into elaborate bas-relief designs. But ordinarily, the horse's head is a plain ten-pin in shape, or a squat bottle with a knob on the side by which it has been tied up. Two cheeses at a time. On opposite sides of a rafter, while being smoked lightly, golden, and rubbed with olive oil and butter, to make it all the more buttery. In Calabria and Sicily, it is very popular, and although the best comes from Sorrento, there is keen competition from Abruzzi, Apulian province, and Molise. It keeps well and doesn't spoil when shipped overseas. In his Little Book of Cheese, Osbert Burdett recommends the high horsey strength of this smoked caccio over tobacco smoke after dinner. Only monsters smoke at meals, but a monster assured me that Gorgonzola best survives this malpractice. Clearly, some pungency is necessary, and confidence suggests rather caccio, which would survive anything, the monster said, taken as an excerpt from Osbert Burdett's book. Next cheese, a classic, Camembert. Camembert is called, quote-unquote, mold matured, and all that is genuine is labeled Syndicat du Vrai Camembert. The name in full is Syndicat de Fabricants du Veritable Camembert de Normandie. Again, I apologize for that French. And we agree that this is, quote-unquote, a most useful association for the defense of one of the best cheeses of France. It's extremely delicate piquants, piquants, cannot be matched, except perhaps by Brie. Napoleon is said to have named it and to have kissed the waitress who first served it to him in the tiny town of Camembert, and there a statue stands today in the marketplace to honor Marie Harel, who made the first Camembert. That's not really much of a stretch. Napoleon named the cheese after the town of the cheese, so <laughs> whoop-de-doo. <clears throat> Camembert is equally good on thin slices of apple, pineapple, pear, French flute or pumpernickel. As with brie and with oysters, camembert should be eaten only in the R months, and of these, September is the best. 
Since camembert rhymes with beware, if you can't get the veritable, don't fall for a domestic imitation or any West German abomination, such as one dressed like a Valentine in a heart-shaped box labeled camembert, cheese exquisite. They are equally tasteless, chalky with youth, or choking with ammoniacal gas when old and decrepit. Cheddar. The English Encyclopedia of Practical Cookery says, Cheddar cheese is one of the kings of cheese. It is pale-colored, mellow, salvy, and when good, resembling a hazelnut in flavor. The cheddar principle pervades the whole cheese-making districts of America, Canada, and New Zealand. But no cheese imported into England can equal the cheddars of Somerset and the west of Scotland. Named for a village near Bristol, where farmer Joseph Harding first manufactured it, the best is still called farmhouse cheddar. But in America, we have practically none of this. Farmhouse cheddar must be ripened at least nine months to a mellowness, and little of our American cheese gets as much as that. Back in 1695, John Hofton wrote that it contended in goodness if kept from two to five years, according to magnitude, with any cheese in England. Today, it is called England's second best cheese, second after Stilton, of course. In early days, a large cheese sufficed for a year or two of family feeding, according to this old note. A big cheddar can be kept for two years in excellent condition if kept in a cool room and turned over every other day. But in old England, some were harder to preserve. Quote, in Bath, I asked one lady of the larder how she kept cheddar cheese. Her eyes twinkled. We don't keep cheese. We eats it. Cheshire Cheese A Cheshireman sailed into Spain to train for merchandise. When he arrived from the main, a Spaniard him espised who said, you English rogue, look here, what fruits and spices fine. Our land produces twice a year, thou has not such in thine. The Cheshireman ran to his hold and fetched the Cheshire cheese and said, look here, you dog, behold, we have such fruits as these. Your fruits are ripe but twice a year, as you yourself do say. But such as I present you here, our land brings twice a day. 
a poem about Cheshire Cheese by Anonymous. Oh, wow, another excerpt uh, by T. Earl Welby in The Dinner Knell. Let us pass on to cheese. We have some glorious cheeses and far too few people glorying in them. The cheddar of the inn, of the chop house, of the average English home is a libel on a thing which, when authentic, is worthy of great honor. Cheshire, divinely commanded into existence as to three parts to proceed and as to one part to accompany certain tawny ports and some late bottle ports can be a thing for which the British Navy ought to fire a salute on the principle on which Colonel Brisson made his regiment salute when passing the great Burgundian vineyard by T. Earl Welby. Cheshire is not only the most literary cheese in England, but the oldest. It was already manufactured when Caesar conquered Britain. And tradition is that the Romans built the walled city of Chester to control the district where the precious cheese was made. Chester, on the River Dee, was a stronghold against the Roman invasion. It came to fame with the old Cheshire cheese in Elizabethan times, and waxed great with Samuel Johnson presiding at the Fleet Street Inn, where white Cheshire was served, quote, with radishes or watercress or celery when in season. And red Cheshire was served toasted or stewed in a sort of Welsh rabbit. The blue variety is called Cheshire Stilton and Vivian Holland in Cheddar Gorge suggests that, quote, it was no doubt a cheese of this sort discovered and filched from the larder of the Queen of Hearts that accounted for the contented grin on the face of the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. All very English, as recorded in Victor Musi's couplet. Dans le Chester, c'est rose, et long dense, l'anglais mort. In broken French, uh, in English, in the Chester dry and pink, the long teeth of the English sink. Edom and Gouda. Edom in peace and war. There, also coming into the river, two Dutchmen. We sent a couple of men on board and brought three Holland cheeses, cost 4D a piece. Excellent cheeses. From Pepe's Diary, March 2nd. 1663. Commodore Coe 
of the Montevidian Navy, defeated Admiral Brown of the Buenos Aires Navy in a naval battle when he used Holland cheese for cannonballs. <laughs> what? Seems like a quote from The Harbinger in Vermont, December 11th, 1847. Wow. Cheese in times of war. Okay. The crimson cannonballs of Holland have been heard around the world, known as, quote, red balls, in England and Katzenkopf, or cat's head, in Germany. They differ from Gouda chiefly in the shape, Gouda being round but flattish, and now chiefly imported as one-pound baby Goudas. Edom, when it is good, is very, very good. But when it is bad, it is horrid. Sophisticated ones are sent over, already scalloped, for the ultimate, ultimate consumer to add port. And there are crocks of Holland cheese potted with Sautern. Both Edom and Gouda should be well-aged to develop full-bodied quality. Two years being the accepted standard for Edom. The best Edoms result from a perfect combination of breed, in brackets, black and white Dutch Phrygian. Friesian, and brackets, and feed, in brackets, the rich pasturage of Friesland and Nord Holland, and brackets. The Goudas, shaped like English Derby and Belgian Delft and Leiden, come from South Holland. Some are specially made for the Jewish trade and called kosher Gouda. Both Edom and Gouda are eaten at mealtimes thrice daily in Holland. A Dutch breakfast without one or the other on black bread with butter and black coffee would be unthinkable. They're also boon companions to plum bread and Dutch cocoa. Quote, Eclair Edoms are those with soft insides. Emmentaler, Gruyere, and Swiss. Excerpt from a poem, or a poem. When the working woman takes her midday lunch, it is a piece of gruyere, which for her takes the place of roast. Victor Musi. Whether an Emmentaler is eminently Schweizerkäse. Grand Gruyere from France, 
or lesser Swiss of the United States. The shape, size, and glisten of the eyes indicate the stage of ripeness, skill of making, and quality of flavor. They must be uniform, roundish, about the size of a big cherry, and most important of all, must glisten like the eye of a lass in love, dry but with the suggestion of a tear. Gruyere does not see eye to eye with the big hold Swiss Sanin wheel, cartwheel, or American imitation. It has tiny holes, and many of them, let us say it is freckled with pinholes, rather than pockmarked. This variety is technically called a Nitzler, Nischler, while one without any holes at all is blind. Eyes or holes are also called vesicles. Gruyere Trauben, or grape Gruyere, is aged in Neuchâtel wine in Switzerland, although most Gruyere has been made in France since its introduction there in 1722. The most famous is made in the Jura, and another is called Comte, from its origin in Franche Comte. A blind Emmentaler was made in Switzerland for export to Italy, where it was hardened in caves to become a grating cheese called Raper. Rapper? Spelled R-A-P-E-R. Repair. Repair. I don't know. And now it is largely imitated there. Emmentaler, in fact, because of its piquant, pecan nut flavor and inimitable quality, is simulated everywhere, even in Switzerland. Besides phonies from Argentina and countries as far off as Finland, we get a flood of imported and domestic Swisses of all sad sorts, with all possible faults, from too many holes that make a flabby, wobbly cheese to too few cracked, dried up, collapsed or utterly ruined by molding inside. So it will pay you to buy only the kind already marked genuine in Switzerland. For their cheese, such as Sanen, takes six years to ripen, improves with age, and keeps forever. Cartwheels well over a hundred years old 
are still kept in cheese cellars, in brackets as common in Switzerland as wine cellars are in France, and brackets. And it is said that the rank of a family is determined by the age and quality of the cheese in its larder. Feta and Kassir. The Greeks have a name for it, feta. Their neighbors call it Greek cheese. Feta is to cheese what hymettus is to honey. The two together make ambrosial manna. Feta is soft and as blinding white as a plate of fresh ricotta smothered with sour cream. The whiteness is preserved by shipping the cheese all the way from Greece in kegs sloshing full of milk, the milk being renewed from time to time. Having been cured in brine, this great sheep milk curd is slightly salty and somewhat sharp, but superbly spicy. When first we tasted it fresh from the keg with salty milk dripping through our fingers, we gave it full marks. This was at the Stakos Brothers Greek Import Store on West 23rd Street in Manhattan. We then compared feta with thin wisps of its grown-up brother, Kassir. This gray and greasy, hard and brittle palate tickler of sheep's milk made us bleat for more feta. Gorgonzola. Least pretentious of the blues, triumvirate, in brackets, including Roquefort and Stilton, in brackets, is nonetheless, by common consent, monarch of all other blues from Argentina to Denmark. In England, indeed, many epicures consider Gorgonzola greater than Stilton, which is the highest praise any cheese can get there. Like all great cheeses, it has been widely imitated but never equaled. Imported Gorgonzola, when fruity ripe, is still firm but creamy and golden inside, with rich green veins running through very pungent and highly flavored, it is eaten, sliced, or crumbled to flavor salad dressing, like Roquefort. And that seems like as good a cheese as any to end on. Thank you for listening to the Sleep with Josh podcast. Congratulations, you've just slept with Josh. But if you're still awake, please follow this podcast on your podcast player of choice. And don't forget to give us a review, because I hope this was as good for you as it was for me. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>